Well, this morning, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to two passages, Isaiah chapter 40 and Matthew chapter 16. I'm actually uh, finishing up, believe it or not, this series called Waiting on the Lord. We've, uh, we're about, we have about 12 messages in this series, and if you haven't been tracking with those, go to calvary.online. You can click the services, uh, click uh, the sermons and, and watch them and listen to them, and believe, believe it'll be a real encouragement to you. The Lord spoke to me. Uh, really, it started over a year ago, but just a few months ago, I was right down here in daily prayer, and the Lord really spoke to me and said, you are entering into a season where many people are about to come in, uh, into new life. Many people are going to make decisions for Christ. Many people are going to experience the real life change of heaven. And he, he spoke it to me in a very real way, and it was all connected to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And uh, uh, which all of you should know by now, we've been quoting it uh, for weeks and weeks. But it says this, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Now, uh, part of what you need to understand about this scripture is that this scripture is not given during uh, smooth sailing. This is actually God saying, no, I am going to strengthen you in a very tough hour. And isn't it good to know that God is committed to strengthen? You. How many of you have felt like, man, I felt the onslaught of hell and had it not been for God, I don't know if I could have made it. I'm telling you right now that God is for you, not against you, and that we as a church need to learn to wait upon the Lord and then we'll experience the wind that lifts us to levels that we couldn't have ever gone to on our own. Then we will experience those, those timely doors, those doors that you can run through and keep divine appointments in your life. And we also experience the steadfast nature, that, that walking and not fainting, no more ups and downs, no more, no more in and out. No, it's, it's God developing something meaningful in our life for the long haul. All of it happening in a very tough circumstance. And that's how the, the, the Lord showed it to me. And, and uh, during this season, the Lord said, I want you to focus on four things. And so these, these sermons have really surrounded these four things over these 12 weeks. And that is the seed of the word of God, which we gave real focus to, the soil of our hearts, soaking in the presence of God, and then finally, the sun, the beauty of the sun. So the seed, the soil, the soaking in the sun. And Last week I spoke a message on the beauty of the sun and today I once more want to share with you the beauty of the Son of God. I asked the Lord, the Lord show me a passage where someone in a moment caught your beauty. They saw you for who you are and, and show me what happens when, when we really experience you for who you are. And the Lord uh, uh, pointed me toward this passage that we're going to Look into today, which each one of us need this, uh, need this revelation. It will help us as we endeavor to be the church that God has called us to be in this last hour. But what happens when we really see the beauty of Christ? Well, there was a moment where Jesus took his disciples to an unlikely place called Caesarea Philippi. And most of us know this story, but we don't really know the depth around it. And I want to share with you that there is a moment where the beauty of the sun gets revealed, and there's, there's an amazing effect that it has on the heart. 
Matthew 16, verse 13 begins this way. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some, of, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." I want to want to show you uh, today these these ideas that are that are from this that when the beauty of Christ is actually experienced, something happens to us. Something transformative happens. I want to invite you into that experience today, because I believe that is this these truths that our community needs now more than ever. First thing is, is that in the beauty of the sun, it, the beauty of the sun births personal revelation. It, it births personal revelation. Uh, verses 15 and 16 says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now at first, the focus by Christ was, who does man say that I am? And I wanna, I wanna say to you, I believe that in this hour, most of us in the church are distracted by the opinions of culture and quite possibly even the opinions of, of family members. But, and, and we're like, oh, others say and some say and, and we have our, 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 our attention actually f- fixed on the opinions of others when it comes to God when it comes to Christ. I know that some of you in here today you have a drug problem. You got drugged to church because someone else has an opinion about Jesus and probably secretly they're smiling but they have an opinion about you too. And the reason they drug you to church is because they're hoping that, that you didn't come because of their opinion about who Jesus is, but they are hoping for a moment that you would take your eyes off the opinions of culture, of the opinions of history, and let there come a shift in the one that you are focusing on. Notice that's exactly what Jesus did. He says, who do men say? And many people kind of take that approach to Christ. Well, my family has always been Christian, so we just go to church and we just do those things. And I want to tell you that that kind of life will not lead you to the fulfilled life that Christ has for you. God in this hour church is turning our gaze back to him. He is wanting us to behold the beauty of who he is. And so he is asking personal questions in this hour. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say 
Jesus changed the focus of the disciples. And I love this. When Jesus became their focus, something beautiful happened. I've been at Calvary. uh, next, Next month will be 21 years. 21 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not why I was that's not why I was saying that. All right. All right. But there is by far one question that's been asked to me more than any other question. As I've counseled, instructed, helped, discipled, and it is this. Pastor, how can I hear God? I want to hear God. How can I hear God? And, and the beauty of this passage is that it's actually revealed. Because Peter, in one moment, has his eyes on the opinions of others and other people's revelation. But when he was drawn to focus on Jesus, it opened his ears to hear. It opened his ears. And a matter of fact, it was so powerful that we get these words from Jesus. He says, oh, Peter, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But you have just heard God. Can I just say to you, church, that in this hour where there is chaos and sickness and our world is turned upside down, the last thing the world needs is a church that is deaf to the voice that will lead them into life. And the reason we have been deaf is because we've been tuning in other frequencies. How do I know that? Because you can quote the headlines. Men, you can quote every stat in the book. You know how many yards a quarterback threw in the preseason. For God's sake, who cares? And then you say, oh, yeah, I can't, I can't, I, 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 I just can't memorize scripture, pastor. <laughs> no, you don't have a memory problem. You have a focus problem. Church, we don't have a memory problem. We have a focus problem. We, we have taken our eyes and we have put them on other things. And, and, and but by the way, the distractions, they are many. And I want to say to you, church, there is an invitation. And by the way, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, the invitation stands to you as well. Because the first revelation that any person in this room, those who are Christians and those who, who are not yet followers of Christ, the first revelation all of us must have is the same one that, that Peter had here, and that is to say, you are the Christ. You are the, the anointed one. You are the one sent from God to pay the price for my sins. That as I look to you, I actually have a revelation that you are here sent to save me. I was 
You're the one sent to deliver. You're the one sent to rescue. Personal revelation follows looking at Jesus. And let me just say to you, uh, for those who have been in the church for a while and perhaps you're here and you're like, oh, well, you know, that's, that's pretty good, Pastor. But, I, you know, I got the whole Jesus thing down. No, you don't. No, you don't. See, here's the thing. Our relationship with God starts with a revelation that he's the Savior. But our revelation of Jesus is to be daily. So if you have set aside the pursuit of knowing Jesus more, then you have set aside the very aim of your life. You see, because Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Look at these three words. Words, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. This isn't so you can be saved. This is the moment that you are born again. You spend the rest of your days beholding the beauty of the sun. And what comes after this? Here's what comes after. Oh, you start to know him as the author of your faith. Oh, he's the one that began this good work in you. He's the one that, that started this work. Oh, I got a revelation as I was pursuing him oh that he's the finisher of my faith that no matter what's going on in the world pandemics and wars and trying times he will carry the work in me to completion oh see it's got to be looking unto him the, oh and the old oh, man just who for the joy set before him Oh, come on. Did you, did you think that Jesus was like you and that he was going whining to the cross? Do you think they had to, to, to bind him to make him go there? My Bible says that no one took his life, that he laid his life down for us. And it says, for the joy set before him. He endured the, the joy. What's your picture of the cross been? Have you had much revelation of what it looks like to see a dying Savior with joy on his face thinking about you, thinking about a relationship, all restored to intimacy with fallen human beings? It was the joy set before him. He endured the cross despising its shame. You see, that comes by revelation. Yes, we have a revelation of Savior, but do you, have you continued in that by saying, God, I'm, I'm fixing my eyes on the beauty of the sun. That initial personal revelation, it has to be you or the Christ. But for those who are born again here today and you have a relationship with God, never stop looking at Jesus. Never stop beholding him as we run this race. The next thing that we find in Matthew 16 is that the beauty of the sun, it forms our true identity. It forms our true identity. Notice what Jesus says. And he says, and, and also I say to you, you are Peter. 
And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, historically, you need to know a couple of things. I mentioned that he, he took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. This is the, probably the height of pagan worship in terms of a location. There were false temples at the bottom of a cliff. So Caesarea Philippi, there is a cliff. And at the base of the cliff, there is a cave. Out of that cave flows a river. That cave, they call it the gates of hell. Matter of fact, in pagan worship, what they would do from time to time is they would take their newborn children and in order to satisfy the pagan gods, they would throw their living babies in the river, in the mouth of the, uh, of the cave to satisfy this false gods. And the, the small floating corpses of false religion was there in the water as Jesus is uttering these words. So it's very important that you understand that their identity was not being formed in a place of peace, but in an atmosphere of conflict and war. That it was in the midst of a trying circumstance, a collision of worlds, of light and darkness, where Jesus uses a powerful play on words to deliver a truth. That, that play on words is this. He says to Simon, we just call him Peter. His name is Simon. We call him Peter because here Jesus gives him a new name. He says, I call you Petros, which means a small stone. And upon this Petra, which means a large rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If I were to bring this moment forward 2,000 years, Simon's name would be Chip. It'd be Chip. Jesus would say, I call you Chip. Why? Because of the colloquial saying, you are a chip off the old block. And so what he is saying, he's saying, now you need to realize that since you have beheld me and seen me for who you are, you are going to truly find out who I have made you to be as you connect to who I am. He's saying, you're just like me, Peter. The small stone. What's the large foundational stone? The revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The large rock of revelation of Jesus is not only the foundation of what we believe, it's the foundation of who we are. I need to say that again. Listen, it is not just the foundation of what we believe in our statement of faith. Listen, when Jesus is saying here, he's saying, listen, this is foundational to who you are. The beauty of the sun will awaken who God has really created you to be. And that's when all of the scriptures, perhaps, that you've heard your whole life begin to make sense. 
Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ our God. Do you see this, this, this keen observation of the character of God by the Apostle Paul? In Acts 4.13, when Peter and John are are being interviewed about this miraculous work that has come through their life, this is what they said of them. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus, that they had taken on the nature of the one that they had beheld and walked with for three and a half years. And let me be clear and tell you that the end time church grows when we move away from personal legacy to an eternal identity. Are you simply trying to pass along a good last name? Are you just trying to make a name? Are you hoping to be memorialized in some way on this planet? Those things are good. They're just not going to make much of an eternal difference. But if you would lay down your name and pick up the name that is above every name and say at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, earth or under the earth will bow. I am laying down my life. Picking up the life that God has for me. This happens when you behold Christ, when you adore him. It's like suddenly there comes a shift. In this this passage, which if I could give any emphasis to any of these points, it would be to this one. Because I recognize that, that many in the church have been going through a very, very, difficult hour it is simply this the beauty of the sun gives us authority the beauty of the sun when Peter beholds Jesus gets a revelation of Jesus gets fully identified by Jesus Jesus then gives him something notice what he says the gates of hell will not prevail And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Mark this down. Identity leads to authority. Your identity in Christ leads to authority. When he says the gates of Hades. A gate in that time was a place of authority. This is where contracts were made. Covenants were cut. Agreements were struck. In a gate, they were legal and binding. Many judgments were made at a gate. And let me just tell you, I am convinced that hell has been trying to exercise its will on humanity. Hell has been coming against you, but I have got some good news. Even though hell has tried to make a judgment, the church who is identified with Christ carries an authority to say not any further. Not any further. 
you see the word church here, it's taken a couple of steps in the passage. Uh, in Greek, it's the word ekklesia, which the closest thing would be a representative that then goes to Congress to represent the will of the people. That's really a, a more accurate picture of what ecclesia really is. And it's really called out ones, citizens who enact influence through a representative authority. Uh, authority. So the, the influence of the church in this last hour is to welcome the influence of the kingdom of God. And the gates of hell are saying, no, no, no. And Jesus says, for those who have a revelation of who he is, who are born again, who take his identity, here are the keys. Here are the keys. Now, this passage has been discussed for a long time. Many theologians like to talk about this passage. Uh, this, this passage in the Greek is actually in the present future tense. So it works out, uh, you know, uh, literally this way. So you have an understanding properly of this passage. I'm going to help you to really understand what Jesus was saying here. He's saying, whatever you bind on earth, connects it to the future, he says, will have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will have already been permitted in heaven. Now, people with a, a very debased, simple look at scriptures would say, no, people abuse this and they try to just manage their own life and they use binding and loosing to their own advantage. And I want to say to you, that is not how this was meant to be used. I want to show you what binding and loosing really looks like in a prayer you already have memorized. This is, it's a prayer you already have memorized. Here it is. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything that's already going on there, God, I want you to bring it here. And whatever you have stopped in heaven, God, we want to see it stopped here. Now listen, church, this is really important. I'm talking to some believers here. Don't think for yourself that the goal of your salvation is only to get you to heaven. I'm glad you're on your way to heaven, but if God's goal was to get you to heaven, he then would have taken you immediately off of this planet. Church, Jesus says, I'm giving you keys and I expect for you to use them in my name. I expect that you are to welcome what I have already permitted in heaven. I expect you to do that. I expect you to stop what has already been stopped in heaven and to welcome what has already been welcomed in heaven. If it's already permitted in heaven, then it's our responsibility to partner with God to influence the earth. 
And I want to give you something just very practical as we're finishing. You say, what's, what, how do I do that? How do I use these keys? Well, the first, probably the most obvious way is in prayer. And so when we pray, we say, we say things like this. God, we close the door on addiction in my family. I close the door on hatred and malice and unforgiveness. The gates of hell are, are, are beating down saying, no, 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 you deserve to be angry. You deserve, they deserve. And you bend a knee and you say, God, I close the door on the judgments of hell. And that's usually trying to come in the back door. Would you just go to the front door? That one that's been locked to God? And open it and say, God, I welcome your love. I welcome your peace. I welcome your presence. God, I welcome your healing. I welcome your work in my life. God, I'm opening the door for you to do something in me that I could, it's, it's exceedingly abundantly above all that I could think or ask. Lord, I open the door for you to set me free, to heal my marriage, to use me in ways unimaginable, like I couldn't even imagine you doing this, God. But I'm opening the door to that. I'm closing the door on the enemy. By the way, that's wonderful in prayer. But can I just tell you, there's another way to use your key. It's through your behavior. Let me give you an example. If you believe that this area is gripped with greed... The way you change the atmosphere is radical generosity. It's radical generosity. Well, I figured if you liked this, the first one, you would definitely not like this one. Because it's not enough to say amen to the things in prayer and expect that one of the most powerful forms of warfare, and that is Christ living through you, behaving in a way that models him to the world, doesn't have an effect on the atmosphere. You need to understand that what you choose to do has an influence on the region. Students, how you choose to live at school has an influence on your classroom. Listen, I know some of you are like, oh, man, my boss is demon-possessed. <laughs> and you just come home and you complain to your spouse. You're like, oh, they are demon-possessed. I feel bad if you work for your family. <laughs> but... <laughs> And you've got all this stuff going on, and you're just like, you know what, I, I, ah, and you're, you're complaining, and all of this stuff is coming out of you, and you're like, they're this way, they're that way. Uh, you know what, I'm going to just tell you, you're losing the warfare. You've actually welcomed the gates of hell judgment against them. You know what you need to do? You need to respond in the opposite spirit. They're mean. You're kind. They hate. 
you love. They withhold forgiveness. You grant it. It is a powerful tool to use the key of living a spirit-led life controlled by the spirit. And listen to me. Your life will shift the atmosphere through that kind of worship. Your life will change the atmosphere of your world when you say, God, I'm going to pray with one hand and use the key in the spirit. But with the other hand, I'm going to say, all right, if my identity is truly Christ, then Christ will live through me in this moment. You use the keys in prayer and conduct. Let me, uh, let me just finish by saying this. Church, you have authority. Stop tolerating Satan's occupation in your life. Stop tolerating Satan. The Bible says submit to God. Submit to God. You know what ends up happening to the devil? The devil runs. Flees, runs away from people who are submitted to God. What are we doing? We resist him. We're like saying, no, no, no. These gates of hell, this, the judgments of hell against my life have been canceled through the blood of the lamb. And I am now in the family of God carrying the authority of heaven. So Satan, I do not tolerate your presence in my life, not another day. I take keys given to me by grace, not because I earn them, but because of grace. And through prayer and behavior, I'm going to see an atmosphere change. Church, use your authority. I remember this one on my wedding day, actually. One of my bridesmaids manifested a demon on my wedding day. I am not thinking about spiritual warfare on my wedding day. I've got some other promises I'm standing on at that moment, okay? I get a call. Bridesmaid is on the floor. Manifesting a demon. And I'm like, you guys are all Christians. What's wrong with y'all? Deal with that thing. They said, they said, we pray. And they said, whenever you get here, you, you'll see her set free. I'm like, oh, what a weird day. And I go and I look at her and she's vibrating on the floor. I'm like, yep, that's a demon. And... uh Prayed for her. She got set free. I then asked the Lord to accompany me to the men's room. I said, Lord, can I talk to you for a minute? We need to go in here for a minute. We're just going to have a private conversation. I said, Lord, what in the world is that about? This girl goes to church. She says she's a believer. What's up with this, God? And this is what the Lord said to me. She has tolerated Satan's occupation in her life. I said, 
you can stay here if you want to. I'm going to talk to her. And I left that room, and I went directly to her, and I said, this is what the Lord says. You have tolerated Satan's occupation in your life. What are you doing? And here's what, the, here's what she said. I confess. I've been in a relationship. The Lord has told me that this man is not to be my husband. But I was so afraid of ending it and following God that I have been gripped by fear ever since God said this guy is not your husband and I've been gripped by fear and it's overwhelmed me and now today on a wedding day Satan overwhelmed me I'm like um, if I were you I'd call it off And thank God she did. And today she's living for God. Her and her husband are in ministry. They have a beautiful family. I just want to tell you, church, listen to me. Stop tolerating Satan's occupation in your life. It's time to pick up the keys and in prayer say the gates of hell are not going to prevail in my family, in my business, in my community. They are not going to prevail. And then get up from the place of prayer and say, listen, I am actually going to behave in a way that changes the atmosphere because I'm responding in the opposite spirit. Church, we must behold the sun. And when you behold the sun, it'll give birth to revelation of who Jesus is. It'll give revelation, give you revelation of who you are in him, true identity. And then lastly, it'll give you revelation of the authority that comes from beholding Christ.